So it worked. It worked. Now some of my customers would listen to this conversation and fire me probably, but yeah, I was faking till end of 2017. I was basically faking. What's up, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the new episode of the Localization Podcast. And this is a special one. In a way, we can consider this to be the first episode in a new series that I decided to start under Localization Podcast. And this one will be focused on the founders of localization companies. In the very first one, the person who accepted my invitation is none other than Diego Crescieri from Creative Words and also from Creative AI, which has just recently been bought by his Creative Words. But at the time of our interview, I think it was still a pretty fresh company. I have to be honest with you, we recorded this interview maybe in December last year, and it's been sitting in my backlog for such a such a long time. We wanted to do slightly something different, maybe to take a a little bit more effort and increase the production value that we normally do for the localization podcast. So we were testing a lot of new things, including the music that you're going to hear throughout this interview. So what can you expect from this episode? You're going to hear how Diego grew up in Italy, what kind of a student he was, and how he got into translation and then starting creative words on his own. I'm Italian, I'm from Italy, always stayed here apart from a small period in the US mm-hmm. uh, at university. Mm-hmm. It was in Tennessee. Other than that, I'm, I stayed, no, well, I was in Germany as well. So mm-hmm. I, I had forgotten about that. <laughs> so yeah, I grew up in Italy. <laughs> and so I spent my 40 years, 41 years in Italy. I had a very, very pleasant childhood. I basically used to go to my grandparents' house in the countryside every weekend till I was 15. So I did everything I could there, like everything to restaurants, uh, many adventures with my cousins and my brother. So it was a great childhood that I wish my children could have as well. Mm-hmm. This is why I live in the country. Mm. Like they can have their you know, three houses, they can do many adventures, good the river uh, basically disappear for the afternoon i don't even know where they are but i know they're safe because there's nothing around apart from wild animals mm-hmm. and wild boars do you think it's important for people or for kids to escape from the, the from the digital sources these days or that's tough well uh, in this very moment my kid would be watching youtube somewhere uh, so yeah, I think it's really important. It's it's difficult because they really cannot focus on one single activity for more than three minutes, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they need to have to be stimulated all the time with something. Mm-hmm. And so I think digital devices help a lot with that. They can change and skip and go from the Nintendo to the YouTube and the mobile. I hate that honestly. <laughs> I, I really enjoy more when they are outside playing with their friends. Mm-hmm. But sometimes even when they are uh, outside, they just use their mobile and they don't talk. Mm-hmm. So 
know it's very important for them to escape this digital, digital world. At the same time, I think they're smarter than we were. I was, let me say, I, right. because they are much younger than I, than I am. They are much smarter. So I would send my seven-year-old boy to fix the TV for my neighbor, mm. uh, which I, I could not do when I was seven, of course. Right. So they're really smart that they can find any information, whatever they want. Did you even have a TV when you were growing up? No, I did have a TV. I, I would probably with some, like, you would just hit it and work again. Now it's much more complicated, <laughs> probably. Yeah, that's smart. Uh, TVs. I, I did have a TV, but I would not. Well, we had probably four channels that we would watch, mm-hmm. and it, that that was it. Like you yeah. could see cartoons for one hour, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. we would just study, read, and go outside. Now it's much more difficult. Would you Would you say that you came from a middle class? Probably, yeah. My my dad worked. My mother was was not working when I was. Before I was 15, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we were okay. We would they would probably spend less money than I spend on my kids now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you know the world has changed. Right. So we would go to the restaurant, for instance, for I don't know, three times a year. Mm-hmm. Now we go basically every week. Mm-hmm. This has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. So they would expect that. I, I was not expecting the same when I was young. Yeah, let's call it middle class. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think that you were smart as a kid? Like, were there any in- indications that you might end up where you are right now or hindsight? 20? The only thing I can think of is I used to have a very good memory. So I would not study at all. I would just listen with one ear to the lesson and I would learn uh, with that. So that's the only indicator, I would say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> My memory is getting worse at the moment. So <laughs> Same here, yeah. I don't remember anything else. No, I was uh, actually just as old kids probably was not paying too much attention at school, but at the same time would listen. And I was lucky enough to have a good memory and would remember things without studying. Mm-hmm, so my mm-hmm. teachers would always say, it's not applying, uh, it's not working hard, but it's, it's good. It could be better. The, the sentence was always, it could be better. Right. <laughs> But it doesn't study. Right. <laughs> so, it can always be better, right? But I think I remember one of the things I would say to my parents when I was not doing anything to help them at home. I would tell them, I'm not going to have to learn uh, to do things at home because one day I would pay someone to do that for me. So that was the biggest indicator I wanted to be an entrepreneur, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do, you, do you think like that comes from just being smarter like okay maybe i'm not the best at doing it but i'm going to find people and maybe help them do it better than me or is it really about let's call it like being laziness late. exactly yeah i think it's both i think it's both it's not that i'm not doing the things at the moment but i'm doing stuff Right. But I find more pleasure in teaching people how to do things rather than with those myself, mm-hmm. I would say. That, that, that's an interesting point. So do you think that we can actually teach people something that we're not the best at? I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We can uh, teach the approach. We can teach people to learn, which is really important. Mm-hmm. 
so they, they learn how to learn better. How, how are you at high school? Because to me, like high school is slightly different. <laughs> not the questions you were expecting. <laughs> I was, no, absolutely not. But I, I was laughing because it was like crazy at high school. It was the best moment of my life. Oh. <laughs> Pre marriage life, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I, I had fun at high school. I chose my high school because it was the only one where you could do school trips abroad. That's the only reason why I ended up being a linguist <laughs> by education, I guess, mm-hmm. because it was the only one. And after a couple of years, all schools would do school trips abroad as well. But yeah, that, that's the reason why I chose that. And so I had a lot of fun, many girlfriends and many trips, many good memories. Okay. <laughs> so you are the popular, popular guy, right? I, I was, I was, yeah, I asked, can't complain about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Do you remember like what were you? I was also kind of bad guy. I mean, I was always sitting in the back. Right, 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 right. I think that's, that's kind of interesting. I, I had this theory, like the, the students who are trying to be the A students, you know, always try to nail everything, study too much. I feel like they're the ones who in the end turn out to work for the bad guys who if they don't turn into doing <laughs> drugs, they become entrepreneurs. Like, like, do you feel like, like, like the nerdy types, like they're more prone to like receiving instructions and following someone while the bad guys, they just want to do things on their own. Do you think there's like some relationship between? Well, if I th- think about my high school colleagues, that might be true. At the end, the, the, nerdy guy, uh, uh, guys or girls, because it was just for guys out of a class of 30, uh, they ended up in being doing something else and working for someone else. So there might be a correlation. It's not proved by science, but I think there might be one. But by, by the way, all my former colleagues in high school now hate me because my grades at the end were very high. Because I was lucky at the exam, final exam, and so I have very high grades. <laughs> was there something that was maybe missing for you as a teenager, like in your life, or were you really that super lucky kid? I think I was more the super lucky one. Mm-hmm. Like, well, we would not, as I said, my parents would not spend fortunes on like clothes on, or vacations even, but I felt lucky. Mm-hmm. I had so much fun in the weekend with my cousins that I could really not complain. Mm-hmm. And I played all kinds of sports, so I would do anything I wanted. After I was 14, my parents just forgot I was uh, with them and I could do whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. I'm still alive, so I was lucky. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it lost somewhere with some anything so i'm still here i think they are now proud of <laughs> the fact that i'm here mm-hmm. yeah but they I think they never went to uh, you know those meetings with the teachers at high school never i i think my, my dad doesn't even know where i went to high school. <laughs> <laughs> no no i'm not kidding i'm not kidding uh, so it means that your parents like didn't have any expectations from you when it comes to studying because for me it was quite opposite like my mom was always like you need to get a a grades 
No, no, no. They, my mom, my parents didn't care. My, my father didn't care. My mom did care a lot. Mm-hmm. So in Italy, we have grades still 110 at university. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have two degrees. The first one I got 107. And she told me, why didn't you get the 110? Mm-hmm. And the second one, I had 110. And you could do better. That's, that, that is what she said. How do you call it in English? The mention, like you get mentioned after, uh, louder. I don't know. So you get louder after, you know, the, the highest grade, the still mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. more you can get. I think it's called louder. Mm-hmm. I didn't get louder. She, mm-hmm. she was complaining about that. Mm-hmm. So she was never satisfied with it. Right. Because as I said, I could do better, could always do better. How did you go from studying linguistics to creative words? Did you start a company straight out of the school or did you have some jobs before that? I was working in a bar and one of my friends, she overheard a conversation at her hairdressers where someone was looking for a translator in a company. And it was in my in the city where I grew up, which is a small one. So I had no idea that there was a translation company there. So I applied. Uh, I got interviewed. I sucked an interview, so I wasn't hired. And after a couple of months, I sent that follow-up email. I convinced them to hire me. And that happened before I graduated. Uh, so I started as a translator there. In my hometown, I was really lucky, but maybe too much. Then I became a project manager in the very same company. And after only three years, I became a partner Hmm. of the company. Because again, I was lucky because uh, the former partner left. And the owner and the founder asked me, do you want to be my partner? Yes. So I quickly photocopied my ID and I became a partner <laughs> in a matter of two hours. I was an entrepreneur. Again, I was I, it was a mix of luckiness and luck and craziness. Mm-hmm. How long did you stay with the company as a partner? I stayed almost 12 years. Oh, that's a yeah. long time. <laughs> in the meanwhile, we, we moved to, yeah, in Italy, we're not used to change jobs so often, I would say. Mm. And there are not many, there were not many opportunities back then. Mm-hmm. Now there are more, I think. And and I was in this small town. So again, I was too lucky to, to, to leave that company. Mm-hmm. But then we moved to Genoa with the same company. Mm-hmm. And then I left in 2016. Mm-hmm. Again, I've been lucky. I've been lucky to find that job. I've been probably good in keeping that job, in becoming a partner, in making the company grow. Mm-hmm. And then the moment came where I needed to, to leave. Yeah, let's talk about that. Do you remember the first time it crossed your mind? Like you want to do something on your own? Well, yes, absolutely. I think it was May the 6th, 2016. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the, the moment very well. Okay. What inspired it? Was a discussion I had with the, the founder and owner of the company. She was the uh, majority stakeholder of the company uh, and the founder. And yeah, I think we reached a point where we could not get along too well together. But something happened the very same day, the very day that convinced me that I should start something else. And on the Monday, I was already thinking how to do that. 
and it was May, and I opened, I created, uh, I founded Creative Words in November. I think you mentioned that you had like some differences, and then I think you mentioned that also something else happened. Well, it was a discussion after a meeting we had with one of our customers. So we had the two customers, customer visiting us for two days, and we had a discussion uh, around that after the meeting. And so I decided to leave. Okay. <laughs> I won't say anything else, but it was probably I mean, the right time for, for me and you know for the, for the good of the company that I was leaving. I think it's good that I left. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, did you decide to start Creative Words with any clients, or did you just start a company without anything and let's build it from nothing? I built it from nothing actually because I signed a non competition agreement, of course. Mm-hmm. So, Creative Words, uh, I chose the name because I was I wanted to focus on creative translations mm-hmm. and especially communication companies like communication agencies. Uh, so that was the only, I would say the only industry that was not covered by the previous company. Mm-hmm. So my intention was to focus on that. It never really happened. <laughs> that was the intention, at least. Uh, so it was basically from scratch. And I remember the first job I got was from a friend of mine working in a company and needed to translate an agreement. But it happened like after three months so I was basically staying there in the office alone, and thinking, and sending cold emails to, to people and cold messages on LinkedIn and mm-hmm. getting harsh lessons mm-hmm. from doing that, mm-hmm. harsh feedback as well. <laughs> and then I, I think in May, I, I landed the, the first big job for my MLV. Is that something that you were happy about at that point, getting work from MLV, or did you always think that the strategy should be like we need direct clients? Well, the strategy was that, but at that point in time, I was cashless, so mm-hmm. I really used that job, and it was a huge one. Mm-hmm. So it really helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. So it, I mean, really huge. I think we. It was a posterity job. We posted it in 300,000 words in a weekend. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. another crazy thing that I did, I accepted. And after that, we got many, many other batches of that particular job. And we started building a structure mm-hmm. as well in the company. I hired the project manager in August. So for two months, I did that by myself with a couple of friends. And so I hired Francesca. I think you know her in August. And then I left for two weeks holidays uh, in Sardinia. And after like three days, she was in the company. And then that's where we started really, because otherwise I was just a one-man company mm-hmm. working alone on my own in a very big office, <laughs> empty office. <laughs> so you started with renting the office? Is it- I started with renting an office, of course, and with all the fur, the desks and Two computers was like an office with 10 different rooms. So it was huge because I had like great objectives. And we left that office at some point as well already. So after one year and a half, we left it because it was becoming too small for us. Mm-hmm. 
So I, we are in a much bigger one. I, I started with big ideas. And, you know, I want to do that a company rather than uh, being a, like a freelance. So I had, uh, I think, desks for more than 12 people. Mm-hmm. I had the meeting room. I had the, the gym as well. I had a room with the gym. I had the kitchen. <laughs> so, yeah, I want to, to have a company. So I did the things not in the right order or most typical order, I would say. Right, right, right. But it worked out. Right. <laughs> would you do things differently this time? Like if you were starting the company? No, no, no absolutely. I think you... I read somewhere that you need to pretend you are rich mm-hmm. even before you are. Not that I'm rich now, but I, I was pretending I had a company even before having one, Right. I guess. So, so no, I would do really the same mistakes again, <laughs> let's say. So fake absolutely. it till you make it, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, I knew how to communicate my company, how to, to fake I had a structure, I had a team. So I, I knew how to do that because I, worked, I had experience with the other company. So it worked. It worked. Now, some of my customers would listen to this conversation and fire me probably, but yeah, I was faking till end of 2017. I was basically faking. Right, right, right. Okay. You know, at the, at the beginning, I would do the project manager, I would do, the, would do translation, I would do the proofreading, I would do everything like uh, ISO <laughs> compliant myself only. Mm-hmm. What should I do? I couldn't I, I actually get in touch with clients, with freelancers, with translators and former colleagues. So I was basically starting from scratch. So mm-hmm. I had to do that. Did you ever think about the competition in the early days other than your ex-company so that you don't compete with them? But Well, I, I knew the market, but my, my former company was focusing mostly on MLVs. So I knew that market. Uh, I didn't know the market I was trying to target, like the communications agency. No idea. So what I did is just looking for websites and send coding, code emails. I actually got a big client uh, doing that. So just, you know, you, if you send 1,000 emails, then you get right. one reply. Right. I, I got that. So no, I didn't do any any search, actually, and anything on competition. And again, I, I was not really active in the industry back then. So mm-hmm. I didn't know so many companies. I would only know my former company and a couple of other local companies big names maybe the mlvs i would know them but i couldn't get in touch with them mm-hmm. so and then i started building my own network of mm-hmm, course mm-hmm. that played a big role, i think mm-hmm. and i started doing going to events so back in june 2017 i was still alone in the company mm-hmm. and i closed the office for three days i went to lockwood barcelona and i made some good friends there i learned some couple of technologies that i then use that was really helpful. And then I went to an Elia event, Park for project managers. And, you know, the network started like, building up and it's quite big at the moment. Why are you only focusing on Italian, especially now that your network is so big? Like, is this something that you want to be long-term focusing on or is it just until the right time when you're going to? I changed so many strategies since since I founded Creative World. So the idea at the beginning was, as I said, communication with companies, agencies. Then 
uh, we had a customer back with the old company that was great in terms of relationship. And they just turned to us, uh, to single language vendors. And the relationship was so good. Uh, everything was so good. Not, not, not necessarily the rate, because it was you know, standard, but the relationship and the things I was learning with that customer was so great that I thought, let's focus on those customers where you can really build a relationship. Mm-hmm. And from my experience, that, that kind of customer, that kind of relationship you could only expect from you know, direct customers. Mm-hmm. So buyers. But then, as I said, uh, I got this big uh, job from an MLV and this, it changed. And then, you know, word of mouth, we started working with other MLVs as well, then the non-competition agreement stopped. Like was uh, not valid anymore. So you know, we started with more and more MLVs, and then I got into Aliyah. So we started with SLVs as well, offering Italian to them. Uh, I, we have some customers where we offer more languages, but I see that it puts so much so much pressure on Jada, our community manager, and with our quality that we can deliver, and with project managers. It's, I mean, it doesn't work out too much for us at the moment. So I decided we should focus on uh, Italian because then I think we are really strong uh, in that. We have an in-house team of linguists. We have strong quality uh, procedures. Uh, so I thought, let's do Italian only. And the last time I, this decision was recent was in Italy event couple of months ago. And then I came back from that event and they got an offer to take part in, in an RFP for 58 languages. So I was confused <laughs> by that because it was, of course, a very good opportunity. And But I, I decided to stick to it and I declined that offer. <laughs> so the short answer would be Italian is what we do best. And I think there are customers out there that want to Turn to SLVs rather than MLVs. If you know some, tell me. <laughs> and we, we do have a couple of customers where we do only Italian it's, uh, and end customers, like residential buyers. Mm-hmm. And again, the relationship is great, it's totally different. When we come back in just a moment, find out how Diego thinks about building culture at Creative Words, how he feels about being the only optimist in the company, and why you should be active on social media. Stay with us. I'm Andre, and you're listening to the Localization Podcast. Support for this podcast comes from Localization Academy, the smarter way to find and hire junior project managers. If you're a data-driven LSP, you need a partner who can provide you with the right data. Localization Academy organizes bootcamps that enable you to see how your candidates think, learn, and perform before you make a decision. Hire project managers based on how they manage projects. Find out more at localizationacademy.com companies. One thing that I'm wondering about is the whole thing about culture. When you started the company, did you have something like a values 
of the company and culture in mind, or was it all just organic? Oh, I, I don't know. Maybe you can cut it <laughs> later. Let, let's see what, <laughs> what goes out of my mouth. Uh, I, I did have a, a very clear idea of what company I did not want to have, okay? What kind of relationships that I didn't want to have in my company, kind of relationship with colleagues, between colleagues. So I had a clear mind idea about that. So I basically wanted my company to be the contrary of the previous one. Mm-hmm. So that, that would be the starting idea. And then, yeah, I, I think we have one life to live and I want to have fun and I'm still having a lot of fun. And I want people to enjoy the, the time they spend in the office and the time they spend working. So I would basically be the one like doing tweaks and the company and doing things to keep them happy and Maybe. I don't know if they are. I, I, I'm happy. <laughs> I have fun. <laughs> I would do pranks all the time. I would keep them, like, distract them all the time while they work. I think, yeah, as I said, we, we spend at least nine to ten hours in the office. It's no, no sense of being just working and working and working. So I was lucky enough to find people that, you know, think the same, probably. And I think when you have a non-toxic environment, then toxic people will just, you know, stay away <laughs> or be kicked out in an organic way from the company <laughs> in any case. So, but I, again, I've been lucky, I guess. I think we have a great corporate culture now, shared values. We enjoy the time at the office as well. So no clear ideas. I had only a negative clear ideas. Right, that's right, 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 right negative models as well. Mm-hmm. So do you think that if new people come to the company, they can affect the future of the culture? Like each person brings something on their own? Well, I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I would like to trigger that as well, to encourage that. I mean, they can add things to the overall company culture. Mm-hmm. But again, I think if some, well, we try to do, do interviews to understand their values and everything but if a toxic people uh, joins the company i think uh, he or she would easily be kicked out of the company not by me necessarily but he would leave because it's there's no competition between colleagues i mean they're all friends and actual friends not just on the surface and it's it's pretty good mm-hmm. so yeah they i wish that New people will bring new values, but they will be in line with ours. <laughs> so one of the things about the people, so we kind of like have this as a running joke with, with, with Daniela, is that you're the only optimist in the company. <laughs> is that true? Oh. <laughs> I'm the biggest optimist in the company, not the only one, okay. hopefully. There's a bunch of them, like probably 20% of them, but I'm the biggest optimist, of course. And I think that's, that's how it should be. And yeah, she's the, she's not pessimist. Well, she is, <laughs> but she, I need someone, you know, to check on my crazy right, ideas right, and crazy right, thoughts. Right, right. That, that's good. There's a good balance. I'm very much optimist in any case. <laughs> Have you ever dropped a client? To maybe similar reasons like when you would drop uh, an employee like it wasn't working out or it was a toxic relationship 
I've been about for a client. Uh, I think it was 2019 that customer was one of my first customers as well. Just want to talk with me. He just just want me to manage his projects. He would call Francesca and all other project managers like secretaries just because they were women. I have a, a regret. Yeah, it was crazy. And I didn't drop that customer. I wish I did. I think they got lost somewhere. I mean, my contact was then promoted to another position. And then they got to, they got lost in any case. But I wish I took the decision to drop them. I think that would be consistent with my, my ideas. But I didn't because back then it was a tough moment in the company. And I couldn't afford losing that revenue. But I should have done that. Mm-hmm. It was I respectful of anyone rather than myself. It's a big regret that they, were, that they have. And I think no matter the, the need for cash, now I would take the decision to fire them like straight away. And I will do so if something similar happens. I think that's important in, in the eyes of the employees as well. So it's a big regret that I have. Another thing that I've recently noticed is that you started another company, which is related to yeah. AI. It's creative AI, I believe. Are you building something like Virgin Creative Anything? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was not the idea. The idea was to leverage the, the network of, my network basically, but also the network and customers from Creative mm-hmm. Words. I'm not that creative that the names of my companies would suggest. <laughs> it's fun because when I started Creative Words, I, I even I checked on whether there was a similar company somewhere in the world. And I found out three years later that there was one in Belgium doing translations after three years. <laughs> so, And when I created the logo for the second company, I found out that it was the same as a translation company that I knew. Of course, after we built the web page and everything. So yeah, the, the idea of Creative AI was to leverage on my network. We offer data for AI rather than AI. And so there are many clients of Creative Words that are looking for that. So it's a different company structure, different partners in the company. But I still wanted to have a connection between the two. Hmm. So that was the idea. I'm not building an empire like Virgin. But let's see what happens. <laughs> it's difficult to choose the name for your company, by the way. I remember that when I started, when I created, I asked Daniela to have that when I was creating creative words. It is difficult. So, yeah, we, we went for creative AI. So, speaking about your network and your social media presence, like, do you see, let's say, ROI? Is it too much? No, sorry. <laughs> do you do you see ROI on that? Because sometimes I'm wondering if the people, let's say, on the top or like in charge of companies, like how much time they spend on, let's say, building their presence or say promoting the company or sharing content or creating giving value to other people like for free on social media versus actually running the company. That's a good one. Well, the first, uh, I was mentioning before the, earlier that 
the first person I hired was Francesca uh, doing project management. I actually had an intern for marketing and it was in February. So I had no client, no structure, no income. <laughs> I had nothing, but I had an intern for marketing because I really think that's really important. So I invested everything on marketing from, from the start and on building my own network. I believe I spend at least one hour on, on LinkedIn every day at some point, maybe not like one hour from start to finish, but probably more than that as well. I think it's really important. And I always tell my colleagues in companies like size as mine to invest time. And this there's a huge ROI. It's not like it says that it's evident and very clear, but I, all the customers I have basically are came to me because they knew me or because they noticed our presence on social media. Mm-hmm. And even our biggest customer, they checked on us at least. If they don't didn't find us on social media, they checked on us there. And they, they appreciated, they told us, they appreciated the, the fact that we share content and mm-hmm. that we are active in the industry and do stuff. So I asked my employees to do the same and, you know, they're doing a lot <laughs> of social media activity as well. I'm not the owner of the company that tells his employees not to spend time on social media. It's rather the contrary. They need to be there. They need to share content. They need to learn. I mean, I, I learned so much from my feed. So I, I'm a big fan of social media. I don't suppose that you are struggling with this because I just feel that you just do things and whatever happens, it will be fine. <laughs> But what would, you, what would you tell the people who have fear of posting something on social media that, that feel like, like, am I posting the right thing or people are not going to like this? It's a learning journey for everyone. We started with posting like aphorisms. We started with that. And it didn't work. I mean, it didn't work, but we, you know, we started from there and then we changed. We did new things. We did graphics. We did statistics. We did everything. And it's a learning journey. I mean, just start and, and do that. There are things from a technical point of view that I don't suggest doing, like sharing content for someone else directly because LinkedIn will not really push those posts uh, if you don't add anything to the conversation. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I would say just find your style. We don't need to do the same things. Follow what other people are doing, but try, try to find your own way of doing things. The way you do, uh, I mean, you do very specific and very, uh, you have a very clear way of communicating, which is yours. I mean, so I would suggest people to find their own style and, and you know, some tests some A-B testing and mm-hmm. try new things and don't get discouraged. I mean, if you find your own way of communicating, I think it's good. Mm-hmm. Of course, you need to provide value, not just promoting yourself right. over and over again. Right. Which is something I see, I still see many companies are doing. Like always selling and selling and selling. I think it's not about selling, it's about giving values and I hope we give some values creative was does it's not me so yeah just do it and find your channel as well maybe you are more for Instagram rather than LinkedIn mm-hmm. Facebook depending whether you are freelance or, or not so be aware your customers are I would say and, and jump and start doing that 
You you mentioned the learning part. Where do you learn what you do? Or is it mostly for you just try whatever and see see what brings results? Or do you like read books or watch videos? I do a lot of things. <laughs> so if you talk about communication, I read some some books and some posts, maybe more than books, or some ebooks, maybe. Uh, I saw some videos. I attended a couple of masters as well, where communication was part of the topics that were covered. And then I learned from my LinkedIn feed all the time. And then I I, I, I just go and do things my own way. <laughs> I, I don't do that in a, the most probably typical way. But yeah, it's my own way of doing things after I explored what's out there, let's say. <laughs> do you have any entrepreneurship, let's say, role models? Like someone who you follow, like? Religiously, I don't have time for that. I mean, I get inspired for many entrepreneurs. Like, let's talk about charities or the way how they treat people, what they communicate about about how they treat their employees. So I get inspired. I really don't have a model. I used to have that negative model that I was mentioning before. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was important for me. Yeah, but no, there are many, many good entrepreneurs out there. But I think I found my own way. Mm-hmm. I probably was inspired by someone, but I can't tell you any names. I normally ask this for, let's say, the, the standard podcast interviews, but this question, I guess it's notorious. What do you think is wrong with our industry? Probably the fact that we are not able to communicate our value to the customers and mm-hmm. the buyers of linguistic services. I think that's the major problem we have at the moment. Other than that, I love our industry. so. Nothing, I can say nothing negative, but yeah, we should improve that. We should be able to, to get more money from, from the big companies that are making a lot of money out of our services as well. Mm-hmm. How, how would you communicate the value of localization to clients? Question depending on how the customer, what they offer, if they sell a product, if they want to go to a new market, it's a very difficult conversation about the ROI of internationalization of having a localized website, for instance. I just posted today an article we wrote about the fact that if you want to come to Italy, there's no way you can you can avoid localizing websites in Italian because we suck at the English. <laughs> you really suck. That, that, that's true. I mean, I think we are like among the last in mm-hmm. the chart of countries i think spain is the worst in europe if i'm not mistaken oh we should but italian is probably not far away yeah (laughs) no 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 i mean we we suck so we we don't trust well that 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 happens in every country we'd say so we pretend we know english and but we don't trust english website because basically don't understand them so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so it's it's basically about making us think of how many opportunities they, they lose if they don't localize, maybe in specific countries as well. We are starting communicating that uh, along these lines with the customers, since mm-hmm. we are you know trying to attract customers into Italia. Mm-hmm. We are starting to do that. But it's not it's not easy, of course. 
as we all know, it's just an afterthought. Globalization is not something that you think from your product design or it's just an afterthought. So right. it's, it's difficult. And in Italy, with Italian customers, I don't like Italian customers because everybody would be able to do translations. I think it might happen in other countries as well. But in Italy, it's, if you have spent two weeks in England when you were 17, then you are translating. And of course, that's not the reality. Is there anything I should have asked you, but I didn't? Uh, how do you turn from being a translator to being an entrepreneur? Like I started, I had trans- translation studies. That's all I did since mm-hmm. I was 14. And then now I manage a company of 15 people and I created the second company. So I have this entrepreneur mind. There, but I, I needed to develop the skills. So I attended the master. A master in business management. Otherwise, I would not be here probably talking with you. Yeah, I think that this is something that our industry is missing. Mm-hmm. There are many companies that have been created by translators. But I think if you want to grow, then you need to also learn some, some new things. Right. Not just skills, some new notions as well. Some about how to manage a business, how to look at your balance sheet, how to maybe plan like your exit or things like that that you don't really learn while studying translation. <laughs> how to manage people as well. I mean, how to manage people is not something that you learn at school. So I, I cannot count the courses, that the classes that I attended. People management, HR, economics, and this kind of stuff. I think that saved my life. I mean, I would not be here probably without those classes. I think the reason why I didn't ask that is because, and you were mentioning that you sort of like gradually grew into the partnership role, right? I think that's what, oh, yeah. so, so that's why I maybe assumed that you got most of your learning like on the job right as you got promoted to being a partner right don't you don't you think that you learn the best by doing something or or did you not have any let's say mentorship when you were promoted to the role of being a partner that's that's a tough question i I believe in learning by doing absolutely Mm -hmm. so i learned some of the things that i know while i was partner in the other company but then uh, we needed a more solid structure in that company so I was there when I did this master in business administration because we needed that. Uh, it was 2010 after the crisis of 2008. And so we were basically going bust. So we had to reorganize the, the staff and customer base and our balance sheet as well. So I think it was useful to do that. The company was more managed in a more... I wouldn't say unprofessional, it's not the right word. But I don't I don't know the word in English. I mean, it was not really managed as it should be because it was getting bigger and bigger. So we needed more structure and more solid background as well in administration, say generally. So the, the, that I learned by studying rather than by doing because it was not there. So but I learned maybe how to tweet people, how to tweet customers, I learned communication there, but not 
how to really manage the manage company. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about the balance sheet, for instance. How to check on margins? We didn't have any system to do that, and I created that as well mm-hmm. because there was a need. Before that, we had the money at the end of the year. That was it. In fact, we we changed the company structure as well. It was a basically individual company. We created a limited liability company. So there was kind of development that I enforced by studying. Diego, well, thank you very much for for your one hour with me. If you could, you. I don't know, share your final words to everyone in the industry, maybe <laughs> as the as the new president of ELA. And... <laughs> <laughs> you don't care about that. I don't care. No, I, well. <laughs> I would only say, don't be shy. I mean, I'm, I'm shy, but I, mm. I try not to be. And I think you can see many returns in being exposed in our industry. It's a very nice industry to be in, and many people are willing to help you as well. So don't be shy of asking. Don't be shy of getting exposed and get in touch with people. I really didn't do that in the past, but whenever I need something, I just ask. And usually, I get positive replies. So that would be my only tip, suggestion uh, to the people. All right, Diego, thank you very much. Thank you, Andrea.